Well, it's good to be back. <laughs> back in the pulpit, uh, for me at least. Um, as we've had our uh, missions emphasis weekend uh, last week and the week before, I was away on uh, study leave. Uh, so it's, uh, it's really good for me to be back with you. And uh, once again, uh, turning and looking at the Gospel of Luke. And today we're going to be looking at the transfiguration, what is called sometimes the transfiguration. This morning we're back in our consecutive expository series in the ninth chapter of the book of Luke. Our scripture reading comes from Luke 9, verses 28 through 36. Hear God's word with careful attention and appreciation. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains and abides forever. Amen. Well, previously, Jesus was showing the people in the Galilee region. He was showing them his sufficiency, showing especially his disciples that he was sufficient to take care of all of their needs. Now, he is beginning to turn 
and set his face toward Jerusalem. He is going to reveal the true mission of the Son of Man. Jesus had already told them previously that their messianic vision was not going to turn out the way they anticipated. He had predicted a completely different path to his purpose as the Son of Man. Now, here he is placing his suffering and rejection front and center. He's no longer telling them and letting them see what he's doing and the miracles and the teaching and, and the things that he was doing. Now he's beginning to disclose to his disciples, particularly the inner core, 12 and even down as we see today to the three, that the path that he is on will lead to death. They are confused. They are trying probably for the long walk they had been on, probably were hoping that Jesus was just kind of groggy or somehow when he said that about him having to die and be put to death, that that was not really going to happen. But as we will see, Jesus more and more makes that clear every step as he begins to move toward Jerusalem. Now, it's been roughly a week, eight days, the text said, since he went up into the northern region to Caesarea Philippi. And now he is on the way back somewhere along that path. And Jesus took apart from the rest three of his disciples with him and went up to pray on a mountain. Now, you know who those three are. Peter, James, and John, or Peter, John, and James, depending on what order you want to, to uh, put it. And it says, the text says, that it was a high mountain. Now, the question is, where was it? Which mountain? There's a number of mountains that this could have been. And I'm not sure that we absolutely can know for sure. There are a number of people that think they've got the right one. And I have probably vacillated back on and off through the years. And it's really not that important that we know which one, except that it is was a mountain and a high one in particular. So Jesus has slipped aside with the three and gone up into the mountain to pray. Now here's today's outline. The powwow, the proposal, the proclamation, and the purpose. You get four Ps today, not, not three. Okay. Let's look at that first one, and that's in verses 30 through 31 of the text, the powwow. After this long climb, like I say, it was a high mountain, it probably would have taken them quite some time, and if it happened to be Hermon, it surely would. Uh, the, the highest 
uh, mountain anywhere in that vicinity. Uh, or if it was still another, it was a nonetheless a high mountain. And Jesus had climbed up with his disciples, and I don't know if just the, the, whole, the amount of traveling they were doing, but for whatever reason, as Jesus went up to pray to his father, the disciples got groggy and became either very drowsy or flat out fell asleep. And then all of a sudden, they awoke and were aroused by this spectacular light glowing there on the mountain with Jesus. And they saw Jesus' face transform, thus the transfiguration. It changed. Uh, two of the other gospel writers use the word we use for metamorphosis, a radical different change. Peter, uh, uh, Luke just, just basically says, that he was, he was changed. He didn't use the same word, but the point is Jesus saw, uh, the disciples saw Jesus' face changed and being enveloped by this out-of-this-world glow, and even his clothes had become dazzling bright white. Now, Luke then tells us that he wasn't alone. Jesus wasn't alone. They saw Jesus in this divine glow, and there were two other people there with him. A party of two figures, men from the past. And of course, you know, most of you know, they were none other than Moses and Elijah. They had joined the conversation with Jesus. You imagine they're sitting there dialoguing and talking and exchanging conversation. And they too appeared in this glory filled light glow. Now think about this. It had been 1500 years since Moses had been buried, having led the people out of Egypt. 1,500 years had gone by. I mean, I, to me, 200 years ago just seems like so, so long. This is 1,500 years, and yet there he is standing in next, right next to Jesus. And the other one, Elijah, it's been 800 years. And these two represent, I think, basically the law, Moses, and the prophets, the greatest prophet, Elijah. Both scripture, the law and the prophets. They are the, the bookends, if you will, for that. And Luke says they were particularly discussing Jesus' imminent or soon-to-be departure. 
Now that word in the Greek is, guess what? Exodus. Remember, Moses led out the people out into the wilderness. They performed, God performed an exodus for his people to escape Pharaoh and the Egyptians. That same word is an exodus used here. But it was what kind of exodus and to what? His destiny was to be in Jerusalem where he would depart this earth. That's what they were talking about. That's what they were discussing was the fact that Jesus, again, as I've already said, is now setting his face toward Jerusalem, ready to go and fulfill the Father's eternal plan before the foundation of the world and to suffer and to die and to rise again and to ascend into heaven, to leave this earth again. But why Moses and Elijah? Well, because Luke is telling us, once again, these two giant bookends, these two giant men of God, servants of the Lord Most High, who were, are famous in so many ways and so many people admired and, and looked up to them. And yet, Luke, I believe, is telling us that Jesus is once again the greater Moses. And he is also the greater Elijah. And the great things they did are nothing to compare to what Jesus is going to do as the one who will deliver us, his people, from their sins. And will carry us into glory as Elijah was carried into glory on a chariot of fire. You see, these two were great men of God, Moses and Elijah. But there is no comparing them to Jesus. There is no place for comparison. You're talking a vast chasm of difference. You see, they were lights, but they were lights like the moon, which is what? What kind of light is it? It's a reflective light. It's not innate. It's reflective. It can bounce off and give a lesser light. But Jesus, he is the light giver. He is the emanator of light. The others are just a shadow by comparison. They are reflectors, but like the moon, Jesus shines like the sun. I love one of the, the uh, sometimes sing with the kids on Wednesday night in Awana, uh, Jesus is my morning sun. Uh, old uh, James Ward uh, from Covenant College, uh, song way back in the 70s. 
so once again, um, but uh, so that is the difference. That is the difference. Now, here comes the proposal in verses 32 through 33. As Moses and Elijah are about to leave, the guys finally wake up enough and clear their head, and, and, and all of a sudden, an idea pops into Peter's head. Imagine that. Um, you know, uh, so Peter came up with this brilliant idea. You know, he, he came up with this brilliant idea. So he thought. So he thought. Once more, Peter's proposal was well-intentioned, but like it often was, misguided. <laughs> misguided. Let me tell you why. Three reasons. First, these tabernacles that, that uh, Peter was suggesting to the Lord that th they were going to throw up these tents, these basically uh, small pup tents is really what they would have been. They were saying, hey, let's, let's throw that, let's throw some of those up for you guys and, and, and it'll help protect you and shit. What was he thinking? <laughs> these, these tabernacles would have been nothing more, as I said, than glorified pup tents. And they didn't need huts any more than they needed flesh and blood. These guys were supernatural. They didn't need some tents. Secondly, Moses and Elijah, as I've already said, weren't equals. They weren't there. Peter, say, Peter said, well, Lord, for one for you, one for you, Elijah, and one for you, Moses. As if somehow they're all in the same playing field. There's no comparison. They weren't equals. Jesus was God's only son. And he had already been spoken in his baptism. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And again, we see this happening in this text. Thirdly, Jesus himself is the tabernacle. He doesn't build tabernacles. He doesn't need to hang out in tabernacles. He is the real McCoy. He is the real thing. He is the real temple. He is the real tabernacle. Just various iterations of the place where God dwells. He is that. You see, that being said, a lot, by the way, recently, um, I think it was the last week or two, somebody, somebody here um, said, Joe, you know, I think you're a little bit hard on Peter sometime. <laughs> and it's probably true, but he deserved most of it. <laughs> he deserved most, most of it, and yet God used him so amazingly. Um, but here's what, something that this is still good about what happened. Despite Peter getting all that and not seeing those things I just laid out to you. Peter expresses an honest desire we all share. And what is that? 
We want the kingdom to come. We want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want it to come and we want revival and we want it to come in its fullness now and remain forever. Revelation 22, 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Don't you long for that? Aren't you tired of waiting for that? They were. And that was a good thing. They knew, Lord, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Peter was trying to do his part, even if misguided. And we find ourselves so often in that same place. Now, verses 34 and 35, we encounter a proclamation. A proclamation. As Peter's voice trailed off, this cloud that had been descends now. It had been creating this afterglow, this incredible glow that, and yet now it begins to, this heavy cloud begins to descend upon the whole scene. This is no ordinary cloud, folks. This is the Shekinah glory cloud of the presence of God. A manifestation of God himself. And that cloud comes down and envelops God's son. And out of it comes this proclamation. A voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. You see, the Father's endorsement recalls the promise long ago made and prophesied many years before. To whom the people are duty-bound to listen. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 18.15. This is where God promised a true prophet that would come. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. From among you, from your brothers, and it is to him that you shall listen. It is to him. Not me, not Moses, not Elijah. It's to this one to come, the great prophet, priest, and king. And it's talking about our Lord Jesus. And the Father is saying, this is the one I was talking about. And he's right here, and he's right now, and he's my son. And you better listen to him. You see, they heard God's voice saying, they should heed Jesus' teaching and follow him. 
And they needed that assurance, as we'll see in a moment. Can you imagine here? The disciples are in the presence of God. The Shekinah glory is all around them. And you know what should happen? Like a squashed bug. You cannot step into the presence of a holy God and live. Moses knew that. Elijah knew that. And yet here they are, unharmed. How can that be? Suddenly, only Jesus was there. And Moses and Elijah were gone. Luke is telling us that, the on, that only Jesus can open for us and for anyone who is a sinner. And that's all of us. The only one can open a new and living way and can be in God's presence and live. Jesus shelters us from the wrath to come. He takes away our sin so there is no longer death, but there is life everlasting. Luke is telling us this is the only one that can allow you to be here. And this will be true for all of God's children when the day and the time comes. You see, some people say they would listen to Jesus if Jesus would only speak to them in an audible voice. Have you ever heard that one? You know, this stuff about Jesus, and you know, I, I, I would, I would believe it. I, I, I would take it seriously if some, if, if, if he would just speak to me in an audible voice. If I could just see him or or hear his voice, like Paul did, I'd, I'd believe. People have been saying that for thousands of years. You see, the problem is there's already been a greater voice. You don't need a new one. You don't need something else. There's already a greater voice that has come. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 19, and then Hebrews 1 and 2. Listen. For we did not follow, this is Peter, by the way, same guy, the, the guy that were ready to throw up the tents. This guy said, upon reflection, after all these years, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They were there with him on the mountain. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, that was God's Father, Jesus' Father. 
This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. And then Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He's already given you what you need to believe and to receive him. The word is more certain than any voice you could hear now. It is more permanent because he brought that in what he did when he came here and died and rose again and ascended. The word is more sure. You don't need a voice. You already have a voice more certain and sure and permanent. Verse 36 is the last little section. What's the purpose of the transfiguration? What, 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 now, in light of this happening, what was, what was supposed to happen now? What was the purpose? Well, perhaps there were at least two, two reasons. The first one concerns the father and the son. The second one concerns the disciples, Jesus' disciples. You see, the Father brought reassurance in what happened on that mountain. Standing with Moses and Elijah and this heavenly glow coming and descending on his son. And when he pronounced, this is my son, hear him. When he made that declaration and that word... A voice came out of the cloud, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Part of that was to reassure his own son, God's own son. Yes, son, this is the path. You have to go all the way to accomplish what we said we will do. And you are the one that I am sending. And you are the one that has to go to the end. It couldn't break off. It couldn't, it couldn't go part way. And Jesus needed himself in his humanity. He needed the encouragement. And to be sure that with Moses and Elijah telling him, reinforcing, yes, he was talking about Remember his departure, his exodus, and they were encouraging him. 
So part of the reason was to encourage our Lord Jesus. He knew what was coming. But in his humanity, he didn't fully understand what that would be. He knew it would be awful. But he had to be encouraged and needed that encouragement. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 22, verse 43, this is what we read. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. See, this was that, had that effect. These things, this experience on that mountain with Moses and Elijah, who had done their course faithfully, now Jesus, it encourages him to set his face to Jerusalem. But there was another reason, another purpose perhaps. The father wanted to remind his disciples that his son was indeed the chosen one. He was indeed the Christ of God, God's chosen servant, the Messiah. He was saying, boys, when it gets tough, and it's going to get tough for you too. You remember, this is my chosen one. This is the right one. This is the one who is the Messiah. And ever how hard it gets, and when it gets darkest, you remember, you are following him. So he gave, the Father gave encouragement to the disciples. God staged this event that they might remember the truth when their doubts arose in their hearts. And surely that did come in many ways. Now, what about us? We too often find it completely bewildering to know and understand what our God is doing and saying in good times and in bad times. We often don't have a clue. But there's one thing that we can always listen to. What are, and and cut, cut out all other voices, competing voices. The Father today is still saying to you and to me, children of God. He's still saying, this is my beloved son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen, whatever's happening, whatever you're afraid of, whatever's going down, whatever is confusing you and leaving you dazed, he has spoken, and he is ready to hear from you, and you, he is calling you to listen to him. He will get you through. He will carry you all the way. He asked me to remind you. Amen. Father, thank you. Lord, for giving us in our dazed and confused lives when we don't understand, when we're not sure, 
and we wonder, Lord, will you continue to speak to us through your Son and through your Holy Word? Father, may we remember he is the one to whom we should listen. Not to the voices of the age, not to the demands of the common and present culture. Father, we need to listen to your son. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake.